back to Wild Game Dynasty, folks. This is episode 116. We have a special guest from Michigan's Upper Peninsula, John Ozoga. For those of you that, hey, recognize that name, you know he was a premier wildlife biologist uh, with the Department of Natural Resources for Michigan. Actually, his focus was in the whitetail deer herd, and uh, he did some cutting-edge um, studies, studied uh, the white-tailed deer in a uh, captive uh, environment and as well as out in the, in the wild. But he was regarded as in the top, probably the top five in the, in the world as far as white-tailed uh, biologists is concerned. But uh, hey, he retired and yeah, maybe, uh, hey, instead of uh, me explaining, let's roll right into a podcast with John Ozaga. He's, well, he's already rolling in, so let's go. As the DNR and uh, deer management on northern northern range, I see I, I see nothing nothing encouraging there. Uh, I I can't feel like I uh, I can really have confidence in, in the biologists nowadays. I, I read a uh, oh there was a there was a a thing and the second deer bible which was published in 2011 the first deer bible was 1984 but it, it covers the whole field of white-tailed deer and what we know and don't know and management but but the last chapter one of the last chapters in that govern the future it was uh, brought from Brian Murphy who was uh, CEO of uh, quality deer management had that <laughs> collapsed here not that 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 long ago, but he he surveyed the universities relative to graduating wildlife professionals, and when he and I don't know I don't recall his numbers, but he was pretty thorough on it, and he found out that fifty percent. Of the wildlife managers graduating with a degree had never hunted before. Oh man! Half of them, and half of those were proclaimed anti-hunters. Now these are the these are the professional people that are running our organizations today. Wow. So what? possible hope can you have there and when you deal with these people even at our michigan level you can you can see this uh in many ways i've had i've had uh, people from the wildlife division who are new on the job uh, involved with deer management come here and want to see what i knew yeah and I would, I would generally get into the biology and whatnot or start to, and, and the guy just simply shook his head. He says, no, 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 I'm not interested in the biology of the deer. All I'm interested in is, is the politics. All I'm interested in is the political management. Wow. Now, where in the hell are you going to go from there? You know? Yeah, that's for sure. and, and the science, the science is so... Uh, I, I, Carl Miller, a, a professor at Georgia, real good friend of mine, <clears throat> and we shared much of our scientific research. Uh, he looked. He worked in a southern environment. I worked in a northern environment, very different. But we dealt with the same animal. We had uh, things we could contribute to one another, and 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 
we, we went a long way. He relied on me. I, I relied on him. In fact, he wrote a chapter for that, that deer Bible I was talking about on deer behavior. Yeah. And in that, in that chapter, he quoted 16 of my articles. 16 in one chapter, I, and I told him, I said, what in the world, Carl, are you doing using, you know, so much of my information? He says, well, it's simple. You're the only one that's ever done this kind of research. So I, <laughs> I accepted that as a, a real, real compliment. And, uh, you know, but and at the same time, Carl was talking about current wildlife research and all, and at that time, he had just, uh, in, the past, in the previous three months, he had reviewed 12 scientific submissions for articles in journals, technical journals, 12 articles. He said, I, re <clears throat> I rejected every single one of them. Wow. And he says, you know, six of them were published anyway. But we've got these, these, these computerized journals now that you can publish just about anything as long as you're willing to pay the price. You bet. It, it, and that's horrible. It, 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 you just lose faith in your science. You know, yeah. there's, there was a publication here from the University of Michigan, uh, University of Wisconsin, not, not that long ago, within the past year. And it, it, was, it was looking at roadkill deer in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. And they came to the conclusion that roadkill deer numbers in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, were going down. But they, they credited not to deer populations. Uh, they, they said their deer population was stable in northern Wisconsin, and it's not. Northern Wisconsin deer populations fluctuate just like upper Michigan deer populations. When the winters are good, the populations go up. When the winters are bad, the populations go down. And we, we had suffered some pretty serious winters, and our deer populations were noticeably down. But those researchers would not acknowledge that. What they concluded was that wolves now are in the area... And the odor of wolves along the highways is scaring the deer away. <laughs> can you imagine? Now, if you're a hunter and you're all know it and you, you use this guy, can you imagine such a conclusion? That sounds like a couple it's, of, couple of it's unbelievable. It's, uh, it's just unbelievable, I'm telling you. It sounds like a uh, couple of guys uh, sitting sitting down having one too many cocktails and trying to come well, up with that, this, this, this computer age, yeah. this computer modeling age, I'm afraid it's only as good as the numbers that go into the model. It's only, and, and you can, you can pick out what numbers you want Yeah. On, on a given subject from a given study. If you like the numbers, oh, I'll stick those in there. If you don't like the numbers, you'll search for a better number that is more agreeable. So you plug all these numbers in there, and you come up with a model, and you say, oh, my goodness, look, a nice tight model I've got here. Well, of course you've got a tight model. You know, you're selective. And some of the, the – my experience with this type of research – uh, in Upper Michigan was the predator-prey study. Did, were you familiar with that at all? Yes, I, I, I am familiar with it. 
Okay, well, that went on for uh, what, 9, 10, 11 years, 12 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. They did not uh, come to one single management recommendation. You can re- read through all their material, and there are no manage- resultant management recommendations. Now, what they did, they were looking at, they were looking at deer populations uh, rather carefully relative to winter weather severity. But what they were looking at was winter weather severity during January and February. Oh, boy. And that doesn't matter. No. The important times of winter weather severity are in November, December, March, and April. Mm-hmm. That's they, because they didn't recognize the rhythmic pattern of energy uh, use and energy uh, uh, storage on a deer's basis. The the early winter, I mean, fawns fawns of the year do not uh, mature and fatten until early December mm-hmm. or mid December. But it only takes six inches of snow on the ground to turn a a, a, a positive energy balance, lush vegetation, fruit and whatnot, into a, a positive energy balance. Mm-hmm. If you've got snow your animals are automatically triggered to a browse diet. Eating wood, eating browse is a negative energy balance. They cannot get enough to satisfy their daily needs. They cannot enough get enough for growth and fattening. So when you have when you have winters with it doesn't take two feet of snow in December or 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 November. Six, seven inches of snow is enough to change the metabolic pattern of the animal. And you're putting these young animals at a terrible disadvantage going into winter. They They have patterns of adjusting during January and February. They reduce their activity. They reduce their their total food consumption and so forth, but they rise very sharply starting in mid-March. And if, if they cannot get that positive energy balance in, in starting in March and April due to snow melt, bare ground, new vegetation, yeah. they're doomed. Yeah. So you, you, would, you would lose those animals. Not in a, like I say, not in a uh, severe, severe January, February, or March. You would, you would lose it to a length, the length of the winter. And now, it, it, the, the pattern with an adult doe is just a little bit different. They too have to recover from fawning, nursing during uh, September. October, but they really have to have a, a positive energy balance starting about mid-March and April and May prior to prior to fawning, mm-hmm. because fetal growth fetal growth really takes off starting in mid mid-March. Mm-hmm. You know the fetus bounces along like a little tiny thing for quite a long time there, mm-hmm. but about mid-March it really takes off in growth. And if you have bad weather in March and April, if you cannot get that deer on a negative energy balance, the fetus is the thing that that will will uh, fail. E- the be. doe will either give birth, the, mm-hmm. the malnourished doe, if she survives, yeah. 
if she survives, she's going to give birth to small, stunted, weak fawns that cannot stand, that, or she may not have any milk, or she just plain won't defend them. Yeah. Would it be safe to say that um, that December time frame is it if they receive uh, you know a reasonable amount of snow, we'll say six plus, it's not necessarily a trigger to push them toward the yards? Yeah. Well, they will respond. Okay. They definitely will respond. Okay. They're, they're, that's a different, whole, totally different aspect. Not, then they're getting into adaptations against predation and that kind of thing. And they, gotta, they, they, can't, they can't wait around in, in December out in the middle of nowhere with no cover. Mm-hmm. It would take tremendous energy. So they've got to get, if you have those kind of early winter conditions, Cold weather, a lot of snow. They've got to get to the yard to, for protective cover. And a okay. pr- protective cover is cedar swamps and, and hemlock and things like that, yeah. where they could they can become less active, conserve energy, mm. but they also have to have a browse supply and, and, and you know close proximity to satisfy their basic needs they're going to they're going to be declining in physical condition slowly but they can buffer that somewhat by a by a reasonable you know quality browse diet you can have all kinds of browse diets you can have an area that's all browsed out the previous year where the browse is terrible it's all fibrous or you can have new growth Mm-hmm. That it's it still may be a negative energy balance, but it's not near as negative as as those browsed out areas. So it, yeah. it, it's a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Then you got the sex, you got the, those age differences. Then you got the sex differences. The bucks themselves are they're pretty well fattened up by October. Mm-hmm. Well, they are fattened up by October. They're going into the rut. They got to have that energy during the rut. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've I've had lots and lots of data on deer mortality, and those damn bucks don't die. Oh. I just, you know, when you when I had a uh, hundred dead deer per square mile in the petrol back in the sixties, mm-hmm. the the composition of that. Those dead animals, which there were no wolves, there were coyotes, which would just scavenge things. But the composition of that loss consisted almost entirely of fawns and those older than 10 years of age. There were only a couple bucks in that thing. And they were, one of them was the most, the largest buck I'd ever seen in my life. He died. He was, but I don't know how old he was. He was older than 10 years. He would just died of old age. But you know, you have those kind of kind of differences. When you say that, and, and you the, say the, you the, monitored the, those, you had a hundred. Uh, that was inside the fenced area at Cousinot, is what you're referencing. No, I'm talking about natural things. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about the enclosure. No, the enclosure was a totally different study. Yeah. Yep. The total. We looked at in the enclosure. We looked at behavioral differences. We looked at herd composition. Uh, we would we would mimic various harvest uh, deer harvest figures, but the nutrition was controlled at a high level. We artificially fed that herd, so no nutrition was not per se a real special factor, okay. except when we we reached the uh, hundred and. 
some deer per square mile. Then there was probably competition, but we didn't have mortality from malnutrition or anything like that. No, we had fawn mortality, newborn fawn mortality that was geared to doe age. Okay. The first-time first, first time mothers and the second-time mothers could have relatively high fawn mortality due to her density, but the old ones did not. And the same thing applied when we ac- accidentally had bears get into the enclosure. The fawn loss among first-time mothers soared to about 50-some percent of their fawns died by from obviously uh, not all from bear predation, but most of them. And the same happened with the, the second uh, mother, uh, the, the one that had her, had her second fawns. No, that one that has her second fawns is your, your dispersing doe. She's the one that's... The, the matriarch will set up a territory. The first time mother will have her fawn right next to the matriarch's territory. The second time mother is inclined to disperse some distance. She's more off by herself. So there's there's some protection in matriarchal groups where a number of related does may protect the same fawn. Uh, if, they, if they hear a fawn ball, they're going to run over to see who that is. And if it's a, a, a wolf or a coyote or a bear or something harassing a fawn, they're going to partake in that protection. But at it also, other studies also show that if those those are deprived physically, mentally, um, nutritionally, they may not show that kind of maternal defense is strong. They may because again, if they're if they're in a, a sad physical condition, so is the fawn, and they you could you could just say, well, they decide it's not worth it. It's not worth sacrificing my life to save that fawn. It's probably going to die anyway type of thing. So you get that breakdown in behavior. So it, it's pretty complex. Yeah, it is. Um, back to, I guess I'm circling back to a little bit here, just to put a, uh, I guess I just to clarify, you were talking about that first year and second year fawn where the mortality, whether it be that bear that snuck into the, that got into the into the fence or out in the wild even but is it that the first year and second year uh does that have their fawns the higher mortality because of their inexperience to be they they didn't have the learned maternal characteristics even even without predation they would typically suffer like maybe 20 percent fawn mortality uh, due to accidents or anything else, whereas the uh, the mature doe who's had three, four, five uh, litters born would only suffer maybe 10%. It's very, very low. Wow. But, you know, from our, our pen studies, our pen studies with controlling diets, you could, if you had an ideal nutrition for those pregnant does in a, in a, a pen, you would get 95% survival of the, of the, of the newborn fawns. They, they, you would, but on the other hand, if you stress those does nutritionally, especially during the last third of gestation, you would get about 90, 95% mortality. Oh my. So it's what it was, it, it was, and, and he's stuck on 
hunters. I, I, I've, I've given up on them. All they preach is the wolves, wolves, wolves. There, we got to get rid of the wolves. We got to lower the wolves. You could really, you, given our weather and given our sad condition of deer wintering areas, they're not being managed. Wildlife and forestry cannot coordinate a a decent effort, it wouldn't matter one bit if you got rid of all the wolves. Our deer population is going to do the same thing. Like like Bob Depker, who who's my my, my representative of of the the, the uh, habitat management biologist in UP. Like he says, right now, given the circumstances, the highs are getting lower, and so are the lows. The overall. <clears throat> Our northern UP deer population is just, you know, just declining, uh, and there's no sign that it's going to change. But there's no agreement on management. No, I don't know how how up you are on the, the history of this stuff. But Bob Depker and Carson, I forget his first name, they were given the task of uh, examining all the wintering deer areas in the UP. They were given the task of mapping them, determining ownership, looking at cover conditions, and giving management recommendations for those wintering areas. I think there are 50 of them. And they're all different. They all need different attentions. And it it took them two years to do this. Now that project was dictated by one of the commissioners from the UP. He dictated that project. He told Lansing Office Wildlife Division, you will do this study. And they, they assigned Depker and Carson to do it. And the Lansing Office had nothing to do with that study. And, and Depker and Carson, like I say, came up with all those plans, 50 plans for 50 areas. They got done. Uh, two weeks later, they called Bob Depker, who had 40 years experience. I think two weeks I, later, I think they I called remember, him. I think I remember this. They, they basically he was, he, he lived in Armand. He was there for 40 yeah. years. They threw him two weeks later, they called him and tell him, hey, we're going to transfer you downstate. Yeah, I remember. They you know, him. he was 60-some years old, naturally retired. They threw but him they underneath were, the bus. <laughs> Yeah, they did. And those plans, those plans were never given to the field. They were never distributed to the field biologists. Now that, what, you know, when you see things like that, that is just, you, you throw up your hands, you have no hope whatsoever. You got to, was Lansing taken? I mean, I'm getting a little bit off topic on kind of the politics side of things, but was Lansing taking out their, angry angriness or dissatisfaction against the commissioner out on, I don't know. Out on Bob Dopker? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what their logic was in there. And what was the purpose there, of there that? Are, there are other, there are other, there are other uh, parallels <laughs> to that kind of a situation. You know, that something yeah. like that, uh, what have happened to me back in the 80s? Now, I've 
I, I had other oper- op- opportunities. I could have uh, gone transferred to Rose Lake and been uh, in charge of Rose Lake Research. And that. I would, but I was so engrossed in my dear man, yeah. my dear research at at Cousineau, I, I didn't want to leave it. I and was, there were other opportunities. I, I said, just no one. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not interested in those things right, right heard, now. I've, so, heard, I've heard people coin the phrase between the management that you and your office did and the management, dear management, that a couple other locations, I think it was Alabama and I think the other one was Georgia. It was called the kind of like the, the dear golden triangle of, research I, I had very good you know i've had some bad uh, times of certain uh, universities but not not uh not not miller in georgia or the other biologist uh professor at alabama those two we were we were pretty pretty close in agreement and we used you know each each other's data, so that was a, you know a, a totally different example there. Yeah, yeah, but so. Michigan, uh, I don't know why they. But see, in my case, back in uh, in the 1980s, we, we suffered the state suffered a real budget crunch, and they were gonna the DNR was gonna have to cut back pretty sharply. Well. My boss was 14 years older than I was, so he was he was right up there. He could retire any time, but they were gonna they were gonna put they were gonna eliminate Cousineau as a research station back in the early 80s. They were high on the list, and uh, one day I came home from work and I was talking to my wife. I said, "Boy, we're you know we're in trouble. We're gonna we're gonna have to think about moving out of here before you know it." And she says, you know what's wrong with you, you biologist? He says, all you do is talk to yourself. He says, that's all you, she says, that's all you do is talk to yourself. And I, I started writing popular articles. There was no researcher or professor or anybody writing deer articles in magazines, you know. But I started writing those for Various ones, including the state magazines, Michigan Department of, you know, conservation, and all the, all the rest of them that were then in in process, and then I got into a, a real political hassle because uh, Lansing office didn't know what to do. Uh, they were getting very very good reports from the general public. The public said, "Hey, this is interesting." This, you know, I was trying to explain what we were doing and why we were doing it and what it meant to deer management, and the public, the general public, accepted that and liked it. And the word got into Lansing, and uh, I just I was doing it on on my own. Then then I I applied for supplemental employment. And so I would do it at home in the evening. Yeah. One year I made a grand total of, I think I made $700 one <laughs> year. <laughs> but I was doing this at home. And then suddenly they would not, they would not approve that, that supplemental employment because it was too close to my job. And they said, well, you, what you should do is write this on the job while you're at work. Well, my boss, Lou Verm, he was totally against that. He wanted me to only do research and write research reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got, you know, I did the, the old Buck Levasseur yeah. 
TV shows and all that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And one, one, one morning I came to work after one of those shows, and uh, <laughs> he, 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 comes into my, he comes into my room and he says, you know, he says, I don't like all this attention being drawn to Cousineau. I said, what the hell do you mean? They're going to close us. He says, well, maybe it's time. Oh, I said, we got oh, nothing to talk about, man. <laughs> so the, the last five years were not very comfortable. Uh, yeah. nearly to, I didn't do any writing, on any popular writing then. But at least I had my job and I did my research. I was, you know, so I didn't, I didn't really do popular writing until I, I retired in uh, 94. And, and, the, moral and, of, then, and uh, the moral of this story is for all of us, us guys need to listen to our wives more often, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, well, since 94, well, as a biologist, as a researcher, um, I think I authored 90, uh, either authored or co-authored 90 technical articles as a research biologist in 33 years. Most of them were dear, uh, actually, well, there were some other ones, too. But, but then when I retired, I I took up. I, I retired early. I had to do something. Yeah. I didn't have enough retirement money. I wasn't sure. Social Security age. I had. We raised three, four, four, four kids. Put them through college, yeah. uh, and I, you know, we didn't have any big bank account or anything. So I had to do something. So that's. I, I had. I made enough context. Then, so I had plenty of editors, manage, uh, magazine editors that would accept my material and oh, pay, the, you know, the, pay uh, me for it. The, so. av- the average hunter, as you know, more than anybody, as much as anybody, yeah. in the state of Michigan but, uh, is so you know, passionate I, I, about... As a result of that, I wound up publishing six books, books. seven books oh, yeah. on deer, and I don't know how many magazine articles... Yeah. 600, 700, 800, I don't know. You but, know. You, but you know, in the state of, uh, state it, of Michigan... It, it, it filled that gap, you know. Yeah. Well, in the state of Michigan, the average deer hunter is so passionate about deer hunting that when they caught an article that you or another biologist, researcher, a true researcher would write, or a book, I mean, we were gobbling it up because we were really, really wanting to... You know, I think a lot of our confidence in the overall DNR out of Lansing was starting to uh, happen. Um, you know, we weren't throwing Lansing underneath the bus completely, but we were really wondering, hey, yeah. why are why are they uh, starting to uh, defund these uh, these research centers? And why? Yeah, is, there's, why is there's no re- to- there's no research in no. you know there's no research in uh, Michigan deer research in Michigan. That's the other problem. You know, I started on that. I, I this predator prey study. Mm-hmm. I was I would get, you know, I would get the progress reports. You know, all the predator prey study when they studied the deer in a, in a low snowfall zone for three years, the predator prey in a, in a yeah. snow, low snowfall zone for three years. Then they went to moderate for three years, and then to the high snowfall zone in three years, and they were going to compare data. I said, it's not going to work. I no. I wrote seven eight articles to those people. I, I wrote to Lansing office complaining. I never got a single response. They were, lo- like I say, they were looking at so winter severity in January and February, and they weren't getting any correlations wow. with 
deer condition and deer populations. It didn't matter what the... I told you, you can't do that. You're looking, you're not considering the animal's metabolic rhythm and needs. You've got to look at the whole picture, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I got, I just got totally nowhere with that. Finally, I think one of the last articles I ever saw them publish, and they publish in all these rinky-dink damn journals mm-hmm. uh, qu- of questionable value. But the last one, lo and behold, they had a, relation, a significant relationship between weather in February and March relative to deer physical condition, reproductivity, and survival. But that was the only one. Wow. And they, I, I, I told them, when you get to the moderate snowfall zone, you are going to have more trouble so they moved to the from the low snowfall zone to the moderate snowfall zone, and the first year was pretty easy weather-wise. They had reasonable uh, productivity and survival. Yeah. The second year was a real dandy winter. They had 45 tagged newborn fawns. Not one single of those fawns survived to be one year old, not one of them, and they lost sixty percent of of their uh, re, uh, ear tag doe radio. I guess they were radio tag radio tag does. Mm-hmm. So that tells you what a winner can do up yeah. here with with uh, with severe conditions. Yeah, now, if you look back, if you look back historically, you will see that during the uh, late 70s, the 80s, and the very early 90s, our UP deer population really took off. Yeah, it it took off like from uh, an estimated maybe less than 200,000 deer in the UP up to probably 800,000 in those years. But like like Bob Dupker says, he says 13 of those years were mild winters. Yeah, they were. And I remember, to, I remember talking to the Forest Service biologist about habitat management and deer winning, and he was crowing back in the, the late 80s, says, oh, look how good a job we done. We have deer yarding all over in the forest now. We never had that before. Well, what happened in 95? <laughs> the severity of the winter came back to normal and crashed those. But all those populations disappeared. Oh, all did. those little groups of wintering deer don't exist anymore. Yeah. I, I suspect the older, wiser does left and went back where they're supposed to be, and the inexperienced young ones sat there and died. But they, again, these are professionals that don't understand just what the heck the deer is and how it works. I look at some of this stuff we talked about before and it seems like it's, it's uh, now the relationship between what little bit of deer or I should say wildlife research they're doing, but it seems like they're passing it off to academia and basically writing them a check and letting them, uh, they are, that's not, there's, there's no low, it's, it's these certain universities and I don't know, all they're going about this, but like I say, you're 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 dealing with a group of of, of uh, future biologists that yeah. are, think a heck of a lot different than you and I do relative to yeah. uh, deer management and what a, you expect from it. You know, was, but there was a recent yeah. uh, thing, and I hate almost almost don't want to bring it up because it's it's a little bit political, but 
it's hard not to combine that when we're working with uh, public monies, I guess. But uh, a buddy of mine, uh, what is a couple of years ago, he said, "Hey, Gary, you need to you need to go online and watch this uh, uh, the the uh, Wolf Forum meeting that Kevin Swanson uh, uh, came back to as a civilian, not a not a uh, not in charge of the uh, large predators." And I said, "What's going on?" I watched that. And of course, there was some discussion, and I don't want to, I don't want to push this out there too much and stir up something additional, because it's kind of buried itself. But uh, here he explains how the wolf count, and it's not about the wolf's existence or not. It was just about um, some data that was, uh, I will call it falsified or not properly handled. We'll call it maybe, well. and uh, nothing ever became of it. I thought, I thought because I was a public employee for 20 years in law enforcement, I thought, man, if that took place in any place that I was part of, you're done. Your reputation's over. You're done. And, yeah, uh, but yeah, it just kind of yeah. got buried underneath. And I think like wildlife but uh, research of, of any kind, uh, uh, I don't know that they're completely falsifying it, but it sure seems like they're, well, find, yeah, they're finding, they're, it, they're the, finding the, it. Yeah, in the, the state isn't doing anything. Certainly, the, the, all the money goes to the universities, yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know how it's handled. But yeah, that's that's yeah. the that's the way it is right now. It's a sad sad day when it, you look at what was put in, what efforts were put in. I mean, these were world class efforts. Because yeah. It was well, I'm, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm disgruntled with certainly the DNR, but I am with the sportsmen too. Yeah. They, I've tried to talk to these people time and time again, and I, I, get, I get absolutely nowhere. I come back with this thing like, well, it's all wolves. You know, wolves are eating all our deer. Well, geez, uh, <laughs> that's not the case. It, like I say, it doesn't matter if we uh, eliminate wolves. Our deer, if, if our, the thing is that forestry and wildlife are not coordinating things at all. And uh, I, uh, I don't know why, but if, if you look at those, those uh, cedar cuttings down in Menominee County, oh, that's horrible. Vast area, vast areas with no, no con- future concern for deer, cedar regeneration. Like Depker says, those all areas are going to come back to tag alder and marsh grass. They're not going to be future cedar swamps. Well, you know, for like, sure. like forces, oh, we got to, We've got to cut these things. They're old. They're 150 years old. We gotta, we gotta salvage that. Like Depker says, well, cedar can live for 400, 500 years. You know, you you're not pressured by that. But they'll conjure up excuses and do these things. And I don't know. Nobody says anything. I no. just. No. Where, where the hell are the sportsmen? That's right. Where, where, just where are these sportsmen? What? We know back in the seventies when our pop, pop, our deer population really bottomed out up, out here. Boy, they hung us biologists in effigy. Yeah. You know, you didn't you, you didn't even dare go downtown. No, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, I had one old guy who was in charge of their sportsmen's group. I I went out there. I was just a young guy. Then I went out there one night to a meeting. They invited me. There were seventy of seventy of my, at that meeting. 
And I stood out in the middle of those guys for a couple of hours trying to defend things. I had never had one single supporting vote. Finally, I just threw my hands up and I, you know, I just, I can't do anything but go and left. Then one day I met, met the old guy who was in charge of it. And we had newspaper correspondence back and forth arguing this thing. And I met him on the street one time and he says, hey, you know, he says, every time I see you, you're with your wife and your kids. You must not be such a bad guy after all. He says, <laughs> yeah, Jeez. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, there's some truth to that, you know. I mean, uh, but it's funny how all the efforts we put into our professional sites, sometimes it takes something like that to hit somebody right between the eyes and something so simple. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm 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 just totally discouraged. I I see getting nowhere. Uh, you know what these I worry too about people. I worry too about just what we talked about the uh, price of timber being so high, the lure and the uh, pressure to uh, increase our timbering. Or in, yeah. or in areas. Well, that it's, it's my own. I, I don't know what DNR budgeting is, but it's my understanding that forestry has to uh, come up with some of their budget money, if not half, wow. through stumpage payments. Oh, They're for timber, you know, mm. wow. just to meet their, their, their budgets. Yeah. And boy, they're, they're doing great guns. Eh? I don't know where we're headed here, but. Uh, that puts a lot of that puts a lot of pressure in areas that should not be pressured. I mean, far yeah. as far as the monetary side of things, uh, you know, the deer yeah. out there don't. Uh, I mean, wow, to to, uh, to force somebody's hand on the on the checkbook side when it really has no relationship to money. It's uh, you know, it's all about the uh, habitat, etc. Yeah. yeah. No. John, this has been a treat. It always is, and uh, I appreciate it. And I tell you what, you gave me a, uh, a, a Bob, and I'm going to, is it Dopker's? Bob Dopker? Depker. Yeah, Depker. Yeah, you, you, you want to talk about deer habitat management? Yeah. He's the man. Gonna, I mean, he's he's it. I'm gonna he's a hell of a lot. My... my my work has been done with the animal and that, but I I don't proclaim to have the habitat uh, experience that that he's got, and he's he's it. Uh, I'm going to be calling him. I reached out again to uh, Lynn Rogers, and I of course uh, I told him I have a scheduled uh, podcast with you, and and that you mentioned uh, Bob's name and. He says, "Holy smokes!" He says, "You're going to get all all you've got there. It's all that's necessary." So, I'm looking forward yeah. to uh, how in the world how in the world did you wind up with Lynn Rogers? Well, you know, I was reading an older article about about two years ago online about deer manage or excuse me, bear management, and mm-hmm. um, and it had his, you know, and I actually had a point of contact, and then who I contacted said, "Hey, here's his number." So mm-hmm. it was kind of a, you know, most of the time it's really difficult to to locate somebody like that. But I reached out to him, and he was so friendly and open. It was really uh, interesting, and it was. Uh, I'll have to share the the. Uh, he's quite uh, an individual. <laughs> well, he, well, he's he, quite a character. He says 
He says, uh, I'm going to take you through a timeline if you want to do that. The first podcast he did, I just did a podcast with him recently. I'm yet to get it fully edited. And, um, but, uh, he says, I've been, I've been let go. He says, he has, that's a fancy term for been fired from a few places. I said, geez, Lynn, uh, you know, I always call him Dr. Rogers. He said, please call me Lynn. I said, well, Lynn, I said, there's usually a reason for that. I said, you're still, you're still hanging on. So what's the deal? Sometimes you, you told them something that they didn't want to hear. And he said, I remember I got into an argument. I was working for the, the uh, Department of Interior, I think is what he said, or at least the For- U.S. Forest Service. And he said, I warned him, it was out west someplace like Montana, about their mm-hmm. plan It was going to devastate the bear population. I was so upset. And he said, mm-hmm. I, I reached out to my boss, and he didn't want to listen, so I went above him. I got invited. Not to- to <laughs> yeah, he says, I got invited to go to Washington, D.C., to uh, present, I didn't realize what all they're doing was. They were getting me there to fire me. Yeah, and he no, said, I believe that. That's yeah, yeah. yeah that's, he uh, he says, "Oh, so I got to fly back on my own dime, hey?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, now at Cousineau, since they waited me out, there's there's no research there. There's just, wow. The enclosure is crumbling. There, there's no research, you know, whatsoever. Uh, in fact, I. The, the predator prey studies done. I I don't know. I don't quite frankly. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Actually, probably one of the better indicators of uh, deer hunting and hunting success is this uh, deer camp survey that that's been out for you know many years. You can add that's yeah. fairly stable. You can compare numbers, you know, to see what just what's going on as far as deer harvest, deer numbers, yeah. uh, success rates, and all that. You can you can get a feeling, you know, a pretty good feeling for that. But hell, the DNR doesn't. You know that if 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 these you gave one of these biologists, these new biologists, now a dead deer, a roadkill deer, and. Tell, and ask him, now, tell me something about this deer. I don't think he'd know where the hell to start. <laughs> he, he, Honestly, he would not know about fat reserves. He would not know about fetal development. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, they don't do such things anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah it's a sad day. It's a sad day. Hopefully, uh, we make a uh, about change on this, or, you know, it's going to take some bigger changes and just some, but maybe some good incremental changes can uh, take place. I just, I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to happen soon. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Is there a, is there a new uh, uh, commissioner from the UP now? I'm not sure. I'll have to look up that. I, I'm, I, I was, I'm suspecting there is, but I'm, I'm not, not quite sure. Yeah, the one uh, gentleman from Otnagan, I think he turned out. And um, but I'll I'll have to look at that. That would be a great place to start. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on there. No, I, I I really don't. I even lost faith in uh, going to some of these forums, and even you know I testified at an NRC meeting about three different times, and um, it went nowhere. It, 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 and it's you know for me to go down there, it's a two hour mm-hmm. two hour drive just for me. For you, it'd be much longer. But uh, yeah, it's just um, it's like there's. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's a frustrating situation at hand. Hopefully, it'll improve. 
Um, well, dude, you have your own radio program or something, eh? Yes, a podcast, yes. So we do a... Uh, we you do, do a, what, a weekly show or something or what? We do three a month. We do them, we separate them out about, uh, we'll say 10 days. And, um, and where, where are you located? It's, uh, I'm in Bay City is where I live, or I should oh, say okay. Essexville. Okay. And uh, we have a, I do a, a UP uh, deer camp, a UP bear camp, and I also do a camp in uh, the Atlanta, Montmorency area for the same, for bear and deer. And um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, hey, John, this has been a treat, as it always is, and I really appreciate any, it. Any, any, any time, Gary, any time at all. This week's podcast brought to you by GMK Logging. With GMK, your property can be transformed into a deer hunter's paradise, giving you a huge bump in success and real estate value. Give Greg Campo a call for a no-risk, no-cost assessment at 989-213-6499. And also brought to you by... Now that Michigan is a no-bait state, your food plot success is more important than ever. The Food Plot Shop is your best resource for trusted advice and sensible seed blends. Call 248-798-2361 or visit us at thefoodplotshop.com. And with that, we conclude another podcast episode with Wild Game Dynasty. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe in your podcast app to receive notifications on future podcasts. Also, please head on over and check out our Facebook page. Be sure to like and follow it to stay up to date on highlights from our clients, turkey, bear, and white-tailed deer hunts. Until next time, guys, stay safe, enjoy the great outdoors, and happy hunting.